0: Apartment my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. So today is the first day of the design of Fate Reforged. I'm going to talk all about... So I, I already did a, a series of podcasts, seven of them, on Konzertarkir. So today I'm going to start doing my podcast, multiple podcasts, I assume, on Fate Reforged. So we're into the middle block of the Konzertarkir... Or sorry, the middle set of the Konzertarkir block. So, um... Let's jump in. Okay, so when I talked about concept care, here, we knew going in that the entire point of the block was we started with a drafting method. Um, we knew that we were going to do large, small, large, and something that I, I'd always wanted to try um, was the idea of having the middle block be drafted with both the first and the last set. Um, little did I know that this was going to be the last three set block, so... I got in my uh, desire right under the wire to try something. Um, Okay, so once we knew that, we then spent some time. We did exploratory Design, the first, one of the first ever, um, in fact, the the first ever. uh, And we came up with the idea of a time travel set. So what that meant was the middle set was the past. We were going to go back to the past to discover what, so the idea essentially was our main character comes to the present day, things are bad. He finds a way to go back to the past, and then he fundamentally needs to change something to change his world. Um, so, the story we needed to tell was a story in which our main character, happens to be Sarkin Val, goes back into the past to try to change something. Well, what does he want to change? Well, Sarkin loves dragons. He's revered dragons. That's always been a big thing of Sarkin. His world has no dragons, they've been killed off. So, what if Sarkin went back in time and changed it? So the dragons weren't killed off. That's the story. So there were a whole bunch of things that needed to get figured out. Um, On our end, the design end, we we knew what we had been doing for Kansa Tarkir. That had already been designed. In fact, by the way, actually, this is an important thing to understand. Um, We started designing dragons of Tarkir before we started Fate Reforged. Um, And so understand why is a large set has a year design, a year's worth of design. Small sets used to have four months We're shifting it now to where it's closer to six months. Um, But regardless, in order to get... um, Dragons of Tarkir came out, uh, had to finish. uh, It gets released, I don't know, three to four months after Fate Reforged, which means it needs to be done roughly the same equivalent of time. But because we had longer to work on it, we actually started first. So Fate Reforged... Fate Reforged was in a really tricky place, because what we wanted to do was we wanted to have the middle set mean one thing with the first large set, and a different thing with the second large set. And so we were in this weird place where we needed to sort of give it an identity, but an identity that could sort of evolve as the things around it evolved. Okay, so, um, real quick, I don't talk too much about the team anymore, but... Ken Nagel was the person I put in charge of the set. He was the lead designer. Um, also on the set was Jennifer Clark-Wilts, um, Ethan Fleischer, um, Dave Humphreys, Gavin Verhey, and myself. Um, so, we had a big challenge. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, Dave Humphreys was not only on the design team, he was the lead developer. Dave likes to do that. Dave likes to be on the design teams that he's lead developing, so that he gets a really good sense of what's going on. Um, he's the only developer I know that does that, so... Um, I actually think it's interesting. It gives him an insight that I think a lot of other uh, lead developers don't have. But anyway. um, Okay, so the big trick we needed to figure out was how... So we knew on one side we had Constant Constantarkir is a wedge set about clans. Okay, so we needed to support a set. When you draft for that set, it was all about three-color play and playing clans. Okay, on the other side, we knew that we had um, an ally-color dragon set. Um, I've talked about this before, originally dragons were going to be enemy colored, it turned out drafting was too similar, it played too much the same way, so we ended up having to shift it. Now, once again, we had started Dragons of Care. we knew it was an ally set. We knew it was an ally dragon set. So the question was, okay, this set on one side had to play with a three color wed set, on the other side had to play with an ally dragon set. How do you do that? What do you need to do? So that was the first big challenge. Speaking of things or challenges, um, I realize I have no gas, so I have not actually filled up my gas tank on the show. Uh, I did it once, I think, so this is the second time. So you guys get my uh, drive to work means you get what I get to do when I drive to work, and today I gotta get gas. So uh, if you hear outside noise, that is because I'm getting gas, because um, that is something I have to do. Um, but anyway, I will continue to podcast while I get gas, because um, nothing shall stop. Nothing shall stop the. Uh, um, This podcast. Okay. So, how do we, on one side, show, um, a three color set, and another side, show a two color set? How do we do that? That, that was the big challenge. Um, okay. So here was the, the thing. Um, we knew that we couldn't have three color gold cards in the set, because three color gold cards wouldn't make any sense from the second card. That's um, that, with a, the with a third set, with uh, dragons of Dark here, So we knew that we needed to... Um, we knew we needed to have stuff that played with three-color, but itself wasn't three-color. Um, so the, the question is, how do you do that? I mean, that, that's, that's a very tricky animal of how to do. So the question is, how does one pull that off? Meanwhile, we have the problem of... We have dragons in the second set, and we're back in the past in which dragons are still alive. So how do we... Acknowledge that it's the past, but at the same time, set up dragons. The next set. Uh, for anyone who's ever read my uh, state of design for the uh, 2015, we erred in some ways, but I'll get there. Okay. So the thing we want to figure out is three color set on one side, two colors on the other side. That meant we couldn't have gold cards. We we experimented with gold cards. We thought about gold cards, but the problem we ran into was the gold cards so made you want to play three-color that when you drafted them with the ally-color set, it still pushed you toward three-color, but the set didn't really enable that. So we would have cards that would trick you into doing something that they wouldn't pay off. So the answer was, okay, we couldn't specifically have three-color gold cards. The solution, of all places, came from a mechanic, from uh, Ravnica, of all places, a gold set, was hybrid. Hybrid has this nice thing where you can, if I have a monocolor card with a hybrid cost, and the hybrid are the two other cards in the um, clan, then I still... It feels like a three-color card um, in the sense that it requires... It can require all three colors to use, but it technically also is playable in a two-color. So the idea is if I have... Let's say I'm doing Abzon, and I have a green card that is that uh, has white and black um, as an activation cost. Well, green-white is ally, so if I play that in dragons, I can just treat it like a green-white card, but if I play it with cons, I can treat it like an Obzon card, a green-white-black card. Um, And so the trick there was hybrid allowed us. But hybrid wasn't the only answer. Hybrid was the first answer. We needed to have a couple different answers to make it work. Okay. The next thing that we needed to do um, was find out other ways to make cards relevant and feel like three-color while only being actually two-color. The other trick we did is we took cards that cared about permanence that were of a certain color. So imagine you had a green card that said, I want a white or black permanent in play. Once again, in an obzon deck, it's great. It, it's, it is green. It referenced white. It referenced black. It feels like three-color. But once you get it to a two-color environment, that card only really needs to have, you know, you can play a green-white deck. As long as it gets white, it does what it needs to do. Um, so between caring about permanence um, and hybrid, we managed to start making the kind of card we needed, which was a card that felt like a clan, felt three-color, um, but it wasn't. I mean, but was playable in a two-color deck, a two-color ally deck, specifically. Um, the other thing to keep in mind was, the, the general premise we had of the set was, we were in the past. And so the idea was the clans existed, but they were sort of proto-clans. They were the early version of clans. So if you, if you ever looked at the watermarks in the set, um... What the creative team did did pretty well was the watermarks exist and there still are clans, but they're sort of proto versions of the clans. The watermarks. It's clear that the eye is the eye for Jeskai, but it's a, it's slight, stylized slightly different. It's a little simpler, and so it's important to sort of build that in to make that make sense. Um, for those wondering, it is taking a long time to punt gas today. I, I don't know. Uh, my my thing is going very slowly. <laughs> um... So we knew that we wanted to have factions. We knew we wanted to have the clans. The proto-clans were there. The, the things that would become, ultimately, the clans of Kandadarkir had to exist. But that wasn't the only thing. We also had to have dragons. So one of the big debates we had, and like I said, I, I think we aired a little off on this one, but um, we were back in a world of dragons. You know, It's very important, uh, and the creative team really stressed this, that we were back in the time when dragons existed. If Sarkin... If there weren't dragons everywhere... Um, Well, then, that's the promise of the set. The promise of the set was we are, you know, Sarkin returned to a time of dragons. So one of the big things to figure out was how to get that sense of dragons in a way that would pay that off. Um, So what we ended up doing was we ended up having... um, Let's not give my receipt. Well, I I guess I will have to pass on my receipt. Okay, back in the car. Um, So one of the things we had to figure out was... Sorry about that. One of the hard things about doing, uh, I don't normally get gas while I do this, is I have to keep track of multiple things at once, and so I apologize that I'm a little more distracted when I'm doing a second thing, Uh, but um, you have my full attention again. We're back to recording. Okay, so, um, where was I? Uh, We were trying to figure, oh, we are trying to figure out how to have dragons. So, here's the challenge. The set that came after us was the dragon set. We were sort of... Paying off dragons in a big, big, splashy way. Um, so it was important that we don't out-dragon the dragon set, but at the same set, it was important to establish the past and the defining quality of the past was we were at a, a crossroads in time in which the dragons still existed. And you know, if Sarkid kept the dragons alive, we know we were going to a world where the dragons were the masters of the clans, if you will. The, uh, um, so, one of the things to figure out was how many dragons was the right number of dragons. Um, the other thing was we knew we needed to introduce the dragons that would become the clan lords. Um, so, we knew for sure, for sure, there was going to be a cycle of dragons, legendary dragons, that would um, we would see here as younger versions and then see in the uh, Dragon here as the dragon lord. So, we knew we were doing those. Um, there was a big fight of whether or not we were supposed to have just those. And I... I really wanted just those only because I, I did not want to step on the dragon set. I knew that, um, and what we ended up doing was, in order to feel like there was enough dragons that was a pass, we made a cycle of um, monocower dragons that we stuck at uh, uncommon, I believe. And then we had one common dragon, which was, it sort of, you attacked with it and then went back to your hand. So it, um it, It it was—actually, I think you sacrificed it. Um, But but the idea was it felt more like a direct damage spell than an actual dragon, although it was put in the style of a dragon, so it definitely would feel like a dragon. Okay, so um, that ended up making 11 dragons. So it turns out that having 11 dragons, having one common, five uncommon, and five rares— the reason we made the legendary ones rare was we knew we wanted space— to have Mythic Rare because we wanted them to be more grandiose in their Dragon Lord fan. So we put them at Rare to give give, uh, ourselves some space. Um, But anyway, what that ended up doing was we had a higher as fan of dragons than any set in the history of Magic. Um, Which really wasn't... I mean, looking back in retrospect, I I feel like we needed to find a way... Now, the other thing you'll notice about dragons of dark here is um, dragons show up all the time in the background of the art. Um... And that's also true in Dragon's Dark In fact, even even more true in Dragon's Dark Gear. Um, but the real question going back was, could we have conveyed dragonness in a way that didn't require so many actual creature-type dragons? Um, and that that was... One, one of the things sometimes that you get torn in design is that what you want for design and what you want for the creative are slightly different. Like... I was, I mean, from a purely design standpoint, all we needed was the dragon, the legendary dragons that would turn into the dragon lords. That's all we really needed to have design-wise. But um, flavor-wise, did we really sell the idea that Sarkin went back in time and now it's a world where dragons are alive if you just didn't have any dragons? And uh, I'm torn. I guess I wish we could have found, like, maybe if we found a solution like the common... First of all, the common shouldn't have been there. The common should have been... Like, I'm frustrated that Dragon Circuit didn't end up with the Common Dragon. We tried in design, but it ended up not being there. Um, If that... For sure, for sure, the Common should have been in Dragon Circuit. That's easy. Um, I think what I would have done is maybe try to see if there was a way to do something like the Common and Uncommon. So there's some cards in which dragons appear, there are dragon tokens or something, where there's some dragonness to it, but just have the ascent of dragons be a lot lower. I I think that was my biggest problem was... um, it's really, really hard to have the dragoniest dragon set of all dragon times when the set before it is the most dragon set ever up to that time. That, that made things hard. Um, okay. So the, the set, by the way, I, I, I glossed over a few important little points. Um, so the set came on January 23rd, 2015. It had 185 cards. So 70 common, 60 uncommon, 35 rare, 10 mythic rare. Um, <coughs> so at the time... There's a time where Magic um, large sets had, um, I'm sorry, small sets had 60 uncommons. Um, we eventually shifted up to 80 uncommons. This was part of the transition of us getting there. Um, I think small sets now all have 80. Um, and part of changing over to the two-block system required us having some more cards at small. We wanted to start drafting the small set first and have two, two packs of it, Um We'll get there. That's the future. Um, Anyway, uh, so this one had 70, which was a little more than we normally did, but not as much as we eventually would get to. Um, We also did this cool thing with the basic lands where the tap lands from... um, Basically, you had a chance of getting, uh, with new art, the tap lands, or with old art... um, the fetch lands were in the land slots and in a rarity of equal value to sort of how rare they were. Um, but there was this extra bonus sort of land thing you could get. So you, you were able to get some of the dual lands from gear. The tap lands that you got mana that came in tap, but you got mana, not mana, you got a um, life from them, um, those had new art. And then the fetch lands were the same art that they were in gear. Okay. So, now comes the bigger structure. So, we use hybrid as a trick to sort of let you play three-color and also play two-color. But there was a much bigger structural thing we had to figure out, and that was, okay, so, we're in, the, the dynamic of the set was we started and we were in present day, present day Tarkir. We go back in the past, we're in past Tarkir, we come back, we're in alternate reality present Tarkir. You know, Sarkin has saved Ugin. Oh, let me talk a little bit about that. So, that was a big question. So, One of the things that we do when we build a block is we go to the creative team with our needs. So, for example, we had created uh, an archetype. We were telling a time travel story. But here's all we needed. We needed a world that was in peril. We needed a hero that went back in the past and changed some fundamental thing. And then the new world was the shift of the fundamental thing. So we had gone to the creative team and said to them, okay, what's the world in peril? What's the world that we end up with? And they had given us the idea of Sarkin's home world, um, of, of, of a, a, a clan, uh, an Asian-based uh, clan world, where the clan, war, warlord world, where the clans were all fighting, and then it turned into a dragon world. Um, and they liked the idea of it being um, Tarkir, which was, um, um, what's his name? Sarkinval. Sarkinval's home plane. Because we knew that he came from a plane in which he revered dragons, but the dragons had been killed off. So this seemed like a cool place to return. We knew it was a war world sort of place, and that you have know, had a fusion of different Asian sort of cultures, and it was dragonless. But um, it allowed us the opportunity to go back in the past and change that, and then make it a world of dragons. Okay, so we had all that. So when we went in, we the what we said to the creative team was, "Look, okay, we know we're starting in, in Sarkin's war torn." home, and we know we're ending up with Dragon Worlds, okay, so something has to happen. Sarkin has to go back in the past and somehow save the dragons. But how you save the dragons, why you save the all that, well, why, we knew. Why? Because he loves dragons. But how does he do it? So, there were a bunch of different things. Um, Something that they latched on very, very early was the idea of... Oh, no, actually, the first thing they um, talked about was... That I tried to remember that. Oh, so another thing that we had done during exploratory design was I wanted a through line, mechanical through line through the set. Meaning I wanted... I knew that each of the factions were going to get their own flavoring and their own mechanic, but I wanted to have something that ran through everything that I could show the the evolution of past, uh, present, uh, past, alternate, present. And so we ended up doing that with face-down cards. So Morph was the mechanic in the first set. Uh, we wanted to have a proto version in the second set, and then we wanted to have a twe- tweaked version of the third set. Um, so once we knew we were doing that, the creative team started playing around with the idea of dragon magic. That maybe in the past, the dragons had created magic, and um, the humans had somehow subverted it over time. And maybe even they use that magic as a means to subvert the, dra- the dragons that by using the dragon magic, the humans' version of it sort of used it to hide their identity so the dragons couldn't recognize them and then were able to kill them. That, that was the original idea. Um, so what that meant is, okay, why, why exactly did the dragons die off? Um, and so the creative team had to, had to figure out, okay, well, what, what happened when the dragons died off? Um, and then they, they liked the idea that there was something that was preventing new dragons from being born and that since new dragons weren't being born, that allowed the um, that allowed the clans as they killed off the dragons. There's no new dragons, and that once that happened, so the quick question is: Okay, how could we make a singular event in which that was true? Um, and for a while, um, they played around with the idea that it was the passing of the dragon magic that was important, and that there was this. Um, I remember the story. There's an emperor who was, I think, a human emperor who got the dragon magic and was able to negotiate and get the human magic and pass it on to the humans. And so the original version was they had to kill the emperor. That was like the original uh, go back in time and kill the emperor. Um, And then the creative team decided two things. One, they didn't like the idea that that, that Sarkin was going to change time by killing things. It felt like we were trying to save the dragons, so we should save something, not kill something. That it felt weird. like the way, How you save the dragons is by killing a thing. That felt sort of fighting itself. So eventually they said, okay, let's, let's have him save somebody. And then they realized that they had, a, they had worked something into Sarkin's backstory that made perfect sense, um, which was Sarkin had been hearing voices. So for those who know the story, Sarkin got sent to Zendikar by Nicole Bolas, I believe. Um, And Sarkin had started hearing voices while he was on Zendikar. If you remember, Sarkin the Mad, he was going mad. Um, And at the time, uh, the question was, what were the voices? And we said, you know what? Those voices, what of those voices were from Ugin? And we know Ugin had been on Zendikar because Ugin was one of the three planeswalkers that had trapped the Eldrazi. Um, And so we liked this idea of, we didn't, originally know where Ugin was from. We had never defined where Ugin was from. Well, what if Ugin was from Tarkir, the world of dragons? Ugin's a dragon. What if he was from this world? And then they came up with the idea of, what if Ugin is his death was the reason the dragons died off? What if his death was some, had something to do with prevention of m- making more dragons. And so they had come up with this thing called the Dragon Tempest, which was, on Tarkir, dragons weren't born sort of the normal way, that there were these natural things called tempests that were formed, and dragons got formed out of the tempests. And what if there was a person who their embodiment sort of um, safeguarded these tempests, and that person was Ugin? Now, the other cool thing, is, if you go back in time, there... Uh, I think it was in a comic. There was something with Nicole Bolas where someone asked him about Ugin and Nicole Bolas makes a comment about how he left him in the ground. The implication that he had killed Ugin. Now, we knew at the time that Nicole Bolas is a very unreliable source. That Nicole could say he did something, but did he? Who knows? But we liked the idea There's this thread that Nicole Bolas had claimed he had killed Ugin. And we're like, oh, okay. We need Sarkin to save Ugin there's, a, there's this unresolved threat of Bolas maybe has killed Ugin. What if that was what went on? So what if they go back in time and they manage to save... Um, they manage to... Uh, Sarkin saves Ugin after his fight with Nicole Bolas. All the pieces kind of came together. Now, this is one of those things where... Um, I, I think that there's a, a lot of times when you have a lot of threads, they kind of lead in a direction. And this was something where it kind of naturally came together. It's possible maybe even when they got, the seeds got planted originally, they were going in this direction, and just we picked up on that. But anyway, it, it made for a pretty cool story um, of, okay, Sarka's going back in time. What is he going to do? He is going to save Ugin. How is he going to save Ugin? From the fight against Nicole Boas. Now, nah, there are a whole bunch of problems that had to get solved which was um, that the, one of the big things that we wanted to do is made sure that the changing of the times affected Tarkir, but didn't affect a lot of other things. And so the idea was they wanted Ugin to be saved, but basically wake up present day, not be saved back in the past. Not have Ugin be alive to go do... So we decided, I guess, when they were trying to figure out how much time made sense for so the dragon Soul to be killed off, um, they, it was like 1,300 years... So they didn't want Ugin alive and prancing around the multiverse for for 1,300 years. Obviously, he would do things that would change things. So the idea was, and they wanted Bolas to still believe that Ugin was dead. They didn't want to, like, in the middle of the fight, save Ugin. So the idea was, um, Nicole Bolas kills Ugin, or or mortally wounds Ugin. Ugin is dying. So Ugin puts himself in a cocoon and sends out a message to the future, um which ends up coming to um, someone else from his world, which is Sarkinval. And um, the beacon gets him back to this time. And it's through the, uh, the magic of Ugin um, that he's able to traverse through time. And he comes back to save him. But by saving him, what he does is... I'm trying to think of that. He basically gets him in this healing cocoon so that he won't die. That he's in the process of dying and that Serkin comes back. Bullis, he gets to see the fight. Bullis leaves. And then he goes and he mends Ugin and helps set him up in this cocoon so that Ugin will later come heal. And so Ugin takes his 1,300 years to heal so that um, when we see him in the modern-day storyline, he's just come out of his cocoon. So when we, he, ha- he interacts, obviously, he's in the storyline for Battle for Zendikar. Um, in fact, I think what happens is um, Sarkin had come trying to find Ugin because he knew the Zendikar on Zendikar the Eldrazi had gotten out and he knew they needed to do something about it. So he was trying to find him. And so if you see him in the original storyline, he shows up in um, the original story and then um, what happens is Ugin, uh, Sorry, Sarkin goes back in time, changes thing, now it's a dragon set, so, and then Sarkin shows up in the alternate timeline and Ugin is there for him to find. Um, so that's one example of the story, and then the fact that Ugin is there. We we wanted to make sure that the outcome of the story mattered for for Magic going forward, but didn't completely rewrite the um, the story thus far. Okay. Anyway, my, my deviation into the story. Okay. So now we knew we had the following, which is we wanted to have this mechanic behind that, that was running through, which was a face down. Um, so what happened there was we had come up, in, in Exploratory Design, we had come to the realization that what we wanted was a proto-version of Morph, meaning something that felt like would one day evolve into Morph. Um, and we came up with a mechanic, We at the time we called Recruit, you guys now know it as Manifest, and the idea was it just took cards and made them face down to two creatures. Um, the original version didn't have built into it the ability to turn up if you were a viewer creature. That came later. Um, and the idea was, I'm just, on some level, I'm making tokens, but if the token was a, uh, a face down card that had a morph, what could turn up? And one of the cool things was, with morph, there's no surprise when I play a face down creature. You know when I play a face down creature that it's a morph creature. There's no suspense there. You don't know what morph creature. The suspense has to do with what it is, but not the fact that it's an unknown thing. But with Manifest, I now got a two-two face-down creature in play that you didn't know whether it was a morph or not. Um, and there's a lot of debate, by the way. When we, we had this in play test, we knew it was a complicated mechanic. You know, we knew that, uh, um, but it was during Divine that Dave Humphreys, like I said, who was on the design team, came up with a suggestion of um, what if built into it was if it was a creature that could turn itself face-up. Because um, it was a little too dependent on morph. And that way, it allowed you to play it in a deck that didn't even have morph creatures, and it was more than... Like, originally, if you didn't have morph creatures, it mostly was just a token-making mechanic, a, a slightly complicated token-making mechanic. That threatened Morph. I mean, even if you didn't have Morph. I always talk about this. Um, your opponent doesn't know whether or not in the limited environment you have Morph. So it, it was more than just a 2-2 creature. It was a 2-2 creature that at least had the threat of being a Morph creature. Um, but if you didn't actually have Morph, there wasn't a lot you could do. So Dave's suggestion was to sort of allow you to turn it face up um anyway we liked it it played well our big concern was there was a lot going on I'll get to the mechanics in a second there's a lot a lot of moving pieces uh and having a mechanic that was on some ways trickier than morph it had more going on than morph um, we were worried about but we play it. we left it in design um, we left it for development and development played it and they felt the same way designed it which was really was fun it was a fun mechanic um, but we knew it was a bit complex. We said, okay, we're, we're going to do it, but we tried really hard to make sure that uh, the stuff around it was not as, not quite as complex. I think Morph being... The face-down mechanic being this whole block really made us sort of make everything around it a little simpler. Um, but anyway, we did it. it. I'm glad we did. The audience really liked it. Um, but it definitely did add an extra layer of complication because Manifest... I mean, luckily if you know Morph, I mean, Manifest isn't super confusing if you know Morph. Um... But if you're unfamiliar with Morph, it's a pretty complex mechanic. Because it is, in some ways, everything Morph is, but more. But more complicated. Um, Originally, when we played around with it, uh, I think it all came off the top of your library. And then we decided that we could branch off a little bit. Mostly it came off the top of your library, but it came from a few other places as well. Okay, so we had Manifest. So now, how do we feel like we're the, the junction point, the crossway point, between two different things? So, one was we wanted to have elements of Khansatark here in the design. We wanted to have elements of um, Dragnetark here. So, the idea was you would see stuff that some of it would drift to be one set and the other would drift to be the other set. So, the idea we came up with is we had five clans. We knew we were going to keep the proto clans. What if only some of the clans had the mechanics that you saw in Cons? What if a few of the clans had mechanics that you saw in Dragons? So one of the things we did in Dragons, once again, remember, Dragon starters first, was in Dragons, we made mechanics for each of the five um, clans, if you will. Remember, they shift into uh, ally color clans in in Dragons. And we gave a mechanic that you could, that would play nicely with the mechanics that went through. So originally, by the way, the original idea was that we would have the clans and they would have names and those names would go all the way through the block. That... The Jess Guy were red, white, blue, and then you go back to the past and they they were more white and blue with a little bit of red, and then you go to the, the alternate present and they were white it was white blue. There was no more no more red in it. The problem was we had never given names to the wedges and we knew the people would so badly want to use those names for the wedges that we were afraid we would confuse people, you know, that if Jess Guy was in the third set, but in that set Jess Guy didn't mean red, white, blue, it meant white blue, it'd be confusing. So we ended up uh, calling the clans in the dragon set after the dragons that were the dragon lords. So Ojitai became sort of the clan, if you will, just named after the dragon. Um, So what what that meant, though, was there was a through line that, like, once again, the reason that I centered the color not in the enemy color was each clan did have a... Even though the name changed, there was an identity that went all the way through. So there was a blue-based... Um, cunning clan that started as Jeskai and would turn into Ojutai. Um, it would start as red-white-blue, it would become white-blue with a little bit of red, and it would end up being um, white-blue. And what we wanted to do is make sure that whatever mechanic we gave to the, that clan in the first set, in the second set, or sorry, in dragons, it would play nicely. Because we knew either in Konzotark here, or sorry, either in Favor Forge when you play with Favor Forge, or when you play Favorite Forge with Dragon Tarkeir, you would have them overlap. Um, and we ended up doing a split of three and two, because we knew we were introducing manifest. And because we'd have two mechanics, it meant we'd we'd have two other new mechanics introduced in Favorite Forge, and the three remaining ones would be in Dragnetarcere. Um, so the idea was we set up the system where um, three-color version of the clan had a mechanic, two-color version of the clan had a mechanic, and there were synergies between those mechanics. Now, of Forge didn't figure out those mechanics. The the dragon ones. Dragons of Tarkir figured those out. So what had happened was, we knew the following: is we knew that we wanted to carry over uh, Delve. That Delve had come back, and we, we knew we had more to do with Delve. Um, we knew we didn't want to do um, uh, over, uh, um, outlast because um, outlast right the the Ab-Z mechanic. It's outlast. Um, because there wasn't a lot of design space, so we knew we wanted to change that. Um, so we knew the white green mechanic in dragons would have to change. We knew the black blue wouldn't change. Or I'm sorry, we knew the black blue. I mean, everything was going to change in dragons, but we knew that it wouldn't change in Fate Reforged. Um, we went through the mechanics. So raid had a lot of me- space left, so we were happy to do raid. Uh, Outlast didn't, so we didn't want to do Outlast. Delve did, so we wanted to do Delve. And we knew people had been looking forward for Delve for so long. Um, Ferocious, we knew there was more design space, but we were more than happy to give it up. We knew it was going to be probably the least favorite mechanic. It ended up being the least favorite mechanic. Oh, and Prowess, we really liked Prowess. We wanted to keep doing Prowess. We didn't at the time know it was going to become evergreen, uh, so we saw a lot more design space in it. Turns out there's tons of design space. That's why we went evergreen. So we knew for sure we wanted to delve in Prowess, we knew we didn't want to last. Uh, so the question was would red green be the second one with the new mechanic, or would black red be the new mechanic? So it turns out in Dragon's Arc here, we ended up making um, a mechanic called Dash uh, that were, played really nicely, and we, we decided we really that had enough design space that we'd bring it back. So even though we liked Raid, we decided to bring Dash back. We went back and forth between. Um, No, 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 I guess once we did that, we knew the white-green mechanic would have it back. So we knew that we were going to bring Ferocious forward. Um, uh, And so... uh, And then we'd end to make Formidable for Dragonstark here. Um, Okay, so once we figured that out, then, okay, we knew the two new mechanics. Black-red would be dash. Dash was the mechanic where you could play the card, and then for the dash cost, you could play it and get haste. But if you did that, then it came back to your turn end to turn. Um, And that mechanic seemed real simple, and it was nice in that you could put it on a creature and literally just be cheaper so you could attack quicker. But you also could do a lot of things with the battlefield effects and leaves the battlefield. You, you could do a lot of tricks with it. So um, it ended up being a very fun mechanic. Uh, it was the first mechanic we made in Dragonstark here. Interestingly, bolster, which was a mechanic that when you bolster, you put a plus one, plus one counter, bolster N. You put N plus one, plus one counter on the creature with the lowest... Uh, with power or toughness? I think it's power. Um... But anyway, um, Bolster was the last mechanic we made, so Dragons took its time figuring out. Meanwhile, Favorite Forge was bouncing around trying to figure out, like, what to do, and like I said, for a while we were thinking maybe instead of the black-red mechanic, the red-green mechanic would be the new mechanic, um, but once we settled on... The, okay, we knew white-green and black-red, but we didn't know what the white-green mechanic was going to be. We figured out... because Once we knew we wanted to do dash and black-red, that, that and, and we knew that we needed to do white-green... Um, that mechanic took a while to find. We started Fate Forge without knowing what the mechanic was and that dragons kept changing it around and then whenever dragons changed it around, Fate Reforged would change it around. So it was definitely pretty tricky. For those wondering, by the way, I'm looking at my clock, um, there is, every traffic day, they're, they're doing some, I don't know, there's something going on in Seattle today. I was warned that there'd be extra traffic. So it turns out there is extra traffic. So luckily, there's lots to talk about Fate Reforged. So I, I'm, I'm, no, no fear that I, I can't fill up this podcast. There's lots to talk about. Okay, back to favorite Forge. Um, okay, so we figured out eventually we want Bolster. We figured out Dash. So we knew that the new mechanics being introduced in the set would be Manifest Dash and Bolster. Um, all of which are really fun mechanics. Um, bolster did take a while. We we did through, go through a bunch of different things. Um, and the other thing that we wanted to make sure was um, even though um, we so remember. That the overlap between the three-color clan mechanic and the two-color clan mechanic had to be synergistic, so we knew some of those would overlap when Fable Forge played cons, and some would overlap when Fable Forge played with dragons. And so we wanted to make sure that tho- that cards that enable those things were stuck in Fable Forge to make sure whichever version you played were smooth. The other big thing we did is Fable Forge needed a theme. Obviously, it needed a structure, but the theme, which was handed to it, was the idea of this was the focal point of history. This was the, the fulcrum. This was the, where choices were going to be made. So one of the things we wanted to make sure was we wanted to have this theme of choice and change, of the idea that you, the player, are making a decision and that decision has an outcome. Um, so thematically, Sarkin had to make a choice in the story. He had to go back. Now, I mean, obviously he was going to make it, that, that, that kind of thing, but From a story standpoint, Sarkin has a big decision to make. He has to go back and he has to decide whether or not to save Ugin. Um, Now, obviously he goes back. Obviously he does it. um, But, I mean, it needed to be a true decision. It needed to be something he needed to figure out uh, from a story standpoint. And so, we liked the idea of change, um, of choice as being a a big part of the set. So, one of the things we did is, and I'm going to talk about the cycles in a second, that we built in a bunch of different ways to have choice. Um, so there. Are, so in general, uh, uh, we like modal stuff. So this set was a little more modal than normal, um, meaning that we uh, modal is something that we use to describe saying you have a choice. Do you want to do A or do you want to do B? Um, interestingly, Gavin Verhey was on the design team. There was a lot of modal stuff that went on, and Gavin felt like the cards were looking a little busy. So Gavin mocked up some cards using bullet points to demonstrate how we could do them with bullet points. And people so liked how it looked that we made the decision and started with Favor Forge. We changed how we do modal spells. So now we do modals those bullet points to say, choose one, bullet point A, bullet point B. Um, sometimes we do modal those more than two choices. For this set, it was a uh, two-choice modal was the theme. Okay, so um, as in every set, you want to do some cycles. So we had a, a bunch of choice cycles. The two highest-profile choice cycles, probably the highest, was what we call the sieges. So what the sieges were is you had a pick, and they represented, it was two different, it was enchantment that had two different outcomes. So you could uh, choose enchantment effect one, or enchantment at them. enchantment, it's hard to say, enchantment effect one, or enchantment effect two. Um, And the idea was we flavor them so one was more con-like and one was more dragon-like. And we went through a lot of decisions of how to sort of flavor this because the idea was, are you going the con route or the dragon route? Um, Meanwhile, by the way, we had also made one other card, um, Crux of Fate, which was a card that uh, we had made pretty early on, which was we wanted to definitely play the idea of are you choosing dragons or not choosing dragons? So we made a Wrath of God um, called Crux of Fate, uh, uh, like a Wrath of God, that either destroyed all dragons or destroyed all non-dragons. Um, and we ended up putting the fight between Bolas and um, Ugin on it. And it was a pretty cool, cool card in that it really sort it, of... We, we, it's one of those cards we made that we knew would be the first card we'd show from the set. Because it just did a good job of explaining the crux point in history, the decision Sarkin had it made, the idea of a set that that is at the cross points. Um, and so, I mean... Not that obviously all the, like in the, in the dragon future, it's not all, all dragons were killed. That's not, it's not literal. But it's, it's, it did a nice job of sort of figuratively sort of showing the conflict at hand here. And that uh, the Crux of Fate is an awesome name. Um, so the Sieges and the Crux of Fate, we did something cool by the way, which was there were special versions of them in foil that were lenticular, that showed you two different pictures on it, depending on how you looked at it. Uh, or not, sorry. I'm sorry, the picture didn't change. The picture stayed the same. Um, the foil of the um, watermark would change. So I, if you looked at it one way, it looked like the clan watermark. If you looked at it other way, it looked like the dragon clan watermark. And so um, I talked about how they had made a proto version of the watermarks. They also made a version of the watermarks when they went to be the dragon clan, so that there was a little reminiscent of it. And the clans all the way through um, admired the same thing. So if you were the clan of the eye of the dragon that stayed through the cunning, the cunning part stayed all the way through, and the subtle sense of the eye stayed all the way through. Um, So anyway, there's a cool thing for those that didn't realize it. Um, The other thing that we did was there was a cycle of commons, what were they called? Um... I don't know if they had names. And so what they did is when they came into play, you got to choose whether or not there was a counter, a plus one, plus one counter on it, or whether or not there was an effect that happened. So essentially, they could be a little bit bigger, or they could have a spell effect that came along with them. You chose what you wanted. Um, and so the idea was... I think the flavor was... Um, you could... Kind of in one version of the world, they got toughened up. But another version, they were able to do their magic. and you know, uh, Once again, the... the a lot of times when you get a motif, it's more important in a theme that you sort of... The idea is choice was important and then we played up choice as a, design, a mechanical design thing. It's not that every choice was actually the choice Sarkin had made, but just the idea of the set about choices. I think that was pretty important. Um, so anyway, we put a whole bunch of different um, cycles in this. I'm almost to work. So I'm going to just talk about the cycles real quickly and then I will wrap up for the day and then starting next time I'll talk about the cards. Um, okay, so the first thing that uh, we did, uh, there was a, a cycle of enemy color activations. So one of the ways to definitely get you to sort of play with other things was to have off-color activations. Um, we um, Hybrid was nice because off-color hybrid activations allowed you to um, play a card and feel like you were in part of a three-color tribe, but when you got to two-color world, it would work just as fine. Um, we did allied-colored um, oh, I, I, allied dragons. So we did, the dra- we did a cycle of dragons that were legendary that would turn into the dragons that would become the dragon lords. We also did a cycle, uh, I think it's uncommon, of mono dragons just to convey the idea that we're in a world where dragons are alive again. Um, we did the sieges, which I was talking about earlier, which was the enchantments where you made a choice... Um, and we ended up having to choose between dragons and cons. We spent a lot of time figuring out what were the words. But in the end, um, hey, what are you choosing between? Are the dragons going to rule or the cons going to rule? Um, we had um, clan matter creatures, and those were creatures where if you had the right color, that they were monocolored creatures, that if you had a permanent of one of the two colors in their clan, a three-color clan, then they gained an ability. Um, we had common, a cycle of common manifest creatures, we had common enemy color instance. Oh, because we wanted you to draft and pick toward enemies for purposes of Khans Tarkir, uh, uh, it's something we did that we knew wouldn't get as much use when you drafted the other set, but would help you draft Khans K- Khan Tarkir when you drafted that. Um, we made the modal creature I talked about. We can choose a plus and a plus and counter or the effect. We made rune marks, which were ores that cost 2 C- two and a C. So 2 and a colorless. Um, I'm sorry, 2 and a colored mana. Oh, uh... Uh, so two colorless and a white, blue, black, red, or green. Um, And then it gave the creature plus two, plus two, and it gave an ability if you had a a permanent of the correct type. So it was another thing that said, hey, I give you this, but if you have one of these two colors, which wasn't the clan colors, the the three-color wedge colors, then you got an extra ability. Um, And then... um, Oh, then we made a manifest cycle just in guy, But anyway... Uh, and then we have a, we, we, we we printed the lands from from Konstruktar here. Okay, so as you can see today, we did all sorts of things to put the set together. Um, I'm not quite done talking about the set, but I'm going to get to the card part because a we're, we're, we're I spent a good 45 minutes talking to you. So next time I'll start with the cards, and as I do the card stories, I'll get to a lot of other pieces about the set. So anyway, ah, this is a long podcast. We had a lot of traffic and got some gas. So that, my friends, in a good 45 minute wrap up, is the beginning of my. Um, favorite Forge uh, podcast. But I'm in my parking space, so we all know what that means. That means this is the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys soon.